the search for the right environment for life on other worlds requires a search for the right environment here on Earth. You're listening to Western Worlds. Hello and welcome back for another conversation here on Western Worlds. My name's John Kissy, and I'm coming to you this week as every week from the Centre for Planetary Science and Exploration at Western University in London, Ontario, Canada. How do we choose the best places to look for life on other worlds? The decision on which analogue environments to use to test our instruments and processes is not a straightforward one. The expertise, experimentation and evaluation required is its own large undertaking. This week we talked to Ewan Monaghan about his background in science and engineering and role on the Mars Analogues for Space Exploration Program at Leiden Observatory in Leiden, the Netherlands. Let's go to the interview. First of all, thanks very much for speaking to Western World. Uh, uh, thanks for taking the time to, to uh, come and have a chat with us about what it is you do. Can you tell us what your current position is and uh, what, what, your, what your role entails? Sure. So I'm a, a postdoc at uh, Leiden Observatory at Leiden University in the Netherlands, employed as part of a project called MAZE, which is uh, Mars Analogues for Space Exploration. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, your educational background? Sure. So my, my undergraduate degree was physics with space science and systems at the University of Kent, uh, which is in Canterbury in, in England. Um, and then I followed that up with a year at Cranfield University doing astronautics and space engineering. And uh, following that, a PhD at the Open University, in, also in the UK. So I've been in the UK up until this position. Uh, and after a short postdoc at the Open University, I came here. So in terms of education, um, uh, my, my undergraduate degree was physics with space science and systems at the University of Kent in Canterbury in the UK. Um, and so I signed on initially for physics with a foundation year, and then you can specialise later on, and I ended up graduating with physics with space science and systems from the University of Kent. Um, and as a side note, I would recommend a foundation year to, to anyone. It was, it was a, such a great preparation. Uh, so after that, I spent actually a little bit of time back here in the Netherlands doing a, an internship at the European Space Agency. Uh, that was straight after my undergraduate degree. Uh, so, I was, so I was here in, in Leiden for, uh, I think, three or four months working at Adestec. Uh, and then head back to the UK and did uh, a year at Cranfield University working in uh, astronautics and space um, engineering, which was uh, fascinating, although... In the end, not really for me. I returned to science pretty rapidly after that to do a PhD in planetary science and astrobiology at the Open University. Um, and then after a short postdoc, uh, also at the Open University, I came here for, for this position I now hold at Leiden. And so I spent uh, four years at the Open University and then a, a short postdoc afterwards working, doing a mixture of anaerobic microbiology, so looking at the uh, effect of, kind of multiple st stresses on some, some really quite uh, bizarre anaerobic organisms and at the same time doing what was essentially geology or, or physical, physical geology, developing a, 
computer simulation of the Martian crust to see the extent to which water might be able to exist in the crust of Mars, um, depending on various salts that might be in there and you know various other conditions. Short version is we don't know a huge amount about the, the crust of Mars, but what we do know can, can let us draw some um, kind of preliminary conclusions, I suppose, about what's going on and what the, the potential is for a habitable environment. And I guess that kind of led on quite nicely to what I'm doing now at Leiden. So you're working on a project called MAZE, and this is for the European Union, right? Uh, EC, uh, so the, the project is funded by the EC, the European Community. Um, as part of their Framework 7 uh, funding stream. It's just it's a, a way of funding large uh, collaborative research projects across the EC, essentially. And so it's a two and a half million euro project across, I think, 11 partner institutions, including universities and uh, agencies like the British Antarctic Survey and uh, groups like the German Aerospace Agency and... Um, uh, even commercial organisations, there's Mattis in Iceland uh, and others. The idea of the project being to further study, uh, well, I guess it might be easier. MAZE stands for Mars Analogues for Space Exploration. And so three of those words are relatively straightforward. But when we talk about analogues, we're talking about environments on Earth which we can use to study uh, environments on Mars or environments anywhere really, but for this case for Mars. And so what we want to do is use environments which are much more easily accessible uh, than environments on the surface of another planet to, to try and solve some of the problems and to learn some things about you know, the, the science of life, of life detection, or even simply of the geochemistry and uh, you know, uh, a hydrology of what's going on in these environments to see if we can solve some of the problems before we get there with a multi-million, if not billion dollar or euro or whatever uh, lander or probe or human foot. And so the project itself is involving lots of partners because there's lots of different aspects to it. I'm really at the, uh, the, kind of, at the middle of this handing bits of information to different people. Um, and I guess we'll, we'll come on to what I'm actually doing on a day-to-day -day basis a little bit later, but the project as a whole is looking at various different aspects of, of studying these environments. There are lots of microbiologists on the, on the project, specifically anaerobic microbiologists, because MAZE is looking at the anaerobic life that's in these environments, because Mars is uh, an anoxic planet. There's not much oxygen there at all, and so we're looking at the kind of organisms that exist on Earth which do not require oxygen. And so the microbiologists are interested in the organisms they can find in these environments that they can culture from the, from the water or from the sediments. Some uh, of the team are involved in doing stress tests, so getting these organisms, getting the most information they can, and then subjecting them to essentially Mars conditions. Uh, a lot of work has been done on single stresses, like you know, very cold environments, very hot environments, very acidic, very uh, you know, briny environments. But not much has been done on multiple stresses, and that's one of the key things about maze is looking at trying to subject these organisms to environments which have multiple stresses. So let's say a, a high radiation environment and cold, 
Um, and that's partly why the, the sample sites were chosen. We have a bunch of sampling sites that we have for this project and some which we have samples delivered from. And they all are interesting because they have multiple stresses. Um, so for example, uh, yeah, we had a lake in Iceland called Grenavatn, which just means green lake in Icelandic. And it's cold and it's low pH. So it's also hydrothermal and it's also etc. etc. But the main thing is that it's cold and has a low pH. And the same applies to the other sites. We went down Bulby Mine in the northeast of England, which is a, a working potash mine at uh, 1.2 kilometers beneath the surface of Yorkshire near Whitby. Good fish and chips, recommended. Uh, and it's also, it's used for science quite a lot, that site. There's a, a dark matter research lab down there as well. It's a very uh, useful place for a bunch of things. But there's a, an astrobiology lab down there. Uh, and there's very interesting briny pools that are kind of seeping from the, from the floor of these deep, deep mine pits. So there's a very warm, very salty environment there. And so on and so on through the different sample sites, including one in Canada, actually. There's, we have some samples sent to us by from collaborators from uh, Herschel Island in the Yukon Territory, in the, um, right on the Alaskan border in the very north, um, which is permafrost. And that's very interesting and very hard place for organisms to live. Everything is very cold and dry and everything else. And so we have samples from all over the, the Europe and a few from outside Europe. So what we're trying to do with these, you know, some of these, some of these biologists in the consortium are looking to characterize these organisms. Others are subjecting them to stress situations using specially designed equipment. And then others still are going to fossilize, artificially fossilize these organisms. Basically uh, seeing what happens to biosignatures after you essentially make them into fossils. Mm. And that's linked in with one of the other aspects, which is life detection. So I said before that it's, you know, I think it's important that you, you have lots of different disciplines involved in this kind of thing. And we do. We have geologists and biologists and chemists and engineers. Some of the engineers and biologists, I guess, are uh, based in Spain, uh, CAB, Centre for Astrobiology. And they're working on improving and developing life detection equipment. Uh, one of the instruments they're using is called Solid. Solid 3, I think, is the current generation. It's basically a life detection instrument based on microarrays, so uh, immunoassays. So, you know, the, you know the way... Uh, basically, it's, it's using a big, oh, I suppose, a big array, a big in terms of number, small in terms of size, mm. uh, array of uh, antibodies to detect various different kinds of uh, biologically relevant things, everything from tiny parts of polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons through, up through whole entire cells via proteins and so on and so on. And so at every stage of the work we've been doing, they've been trying to see what they can detect in these samples, whether they can say, okay, in this sample we can see this. Does that correlate to what we see in the fossilized samples? Mm -hmm. You know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's a lot of different people doing a lot of different work, which... When we bring it all together in the conclusion of the project, we'll have a much clearer idea of the usefulness of these sites and what we can learn from them and whether, whether they are good analogues and if not, what are the better ones? And if they are, what techniques should we be using in these different sites? Let's get off the subject of space and talk a little bit about 
what else you do because you actually run a magazine don't you uh, yeah so uh, in my spare time I uh, I the founding editor of a literary magazine which actually began when I was back here seven or eight years ago mm. so uh, yeah when I was an undergraduate I worked on the University of Kent's film magazine which was which was incredibly good fun mm-hmm. I think partly also because it was a collaborative project that he worked on with with other people producing an object which I always found very satisfying but then I left uh, University of Kent and uh, found that I missed that mm-hmm and so realized how relatively easy it was to make a magazine and so started my own. Um, and yeah, a very it's it's a biannual literary magazine. It's called Structo. And yeah, it's it's been growing very gently in the background from, from two thousand eight, which is when I issue one came out. Mm-hmm. Until now we're at issue uh, fifteen will be out in February. And uh, yeah, it's actually been incredibly useful for the science as well, because it's Writing and communication is a huge part of science, and as it should be. And being able to communicate well applies whether you're writing a, uh, you know, a slightly surreal short story, or you're writing a, an abstract for a conference. Although I don't write creative writing, I don't do poems or short stories or anything myself. Editing is a really, really useful skill, mm-hmm. and it just bleeds so well into into science. I also manage a. A small team mm-hmm. on the magazine, which I found very useful for dealing with uh, the some of the aspects of working on this consortium, especially when both the team and the consortium are based around the world. No, it's good fun. I really enjoy working on the magazine. Uh, it, we have a very good team in place now, and it's been growing, been growing very happily in the background. It's uh, it's funny. I, the, the two the two aspects of this that I have the science and the and the literature are both neither of them are ever going to make me rich but they're both very interesting and they they play off each other a lot a lot a lot more than you might expect and you know it's nice to escape from one to the other sometimes seems from your description really that you're very much a person that enjoys working in a team of people with different ideas this seems to be just from your actual work and then your your educational background and then also what you do in your spare time, there's a there's a there's a sort of singular theme of of collaboration. Yeah, that's that's I suppose that's true. I hadn't really thought about it. Yeah, you, this, I always find it very in, uh, interesting and 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 just generally good to be surrounded by people who are excited by things, mm-hmm. who are interested in things. And yeah, I hope I have those in both aspects of, mm-hmm. of, of things I spend my time on. The magazine is primarily made up of short stories and poetry, uh, but also we have interviews and essays. So from a kind of short stories point of view, um, we can veer a little bit towards what I would term slipstream, which is kind of fiction which falls between genre, I suppose. Quite interested in, there's a lot of very fertile middle ground between uh, literary fiction and uh, uh, you know, speculative fiction or or, or you know that kind of realm, the kind of Margaret Atwoods and Neil Gaiman's of the world there, uh, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of very interesting writing happening there. Although we invite and accept writing from all kinds of different uh, genres and and of no genre, and then we've had essays on various subjects 
Uh, and we publish interviews from everyone from the aforementioned Margaret Atwood through to uh, the late great Ian Banks. And where is it available? A bunch of places. So you can buy it online from us if you like, uh, structuremagazine.co.uk. But also a bunch of shops, mainly in the UK and Europe, but also in New York. So if you want to trek down to New York to buy a copy from uh, from London, you're very welcome. Um, but really, online is your best bet. Or and we put all our issues online for free anyway. Three months after they're released in in print, so you know, go mad. You're listening to Western Worlds. Let's go to the discussion. So that was a really interesting uh, exchange with you and Monaghan. What did you think of uh, What do you think of uh, Ewan's experience and his story. I think it's really cool. I always like um, analog missions anyways because, you know, um, they're a really cool way to kind of, you know, gauge how advanced we are in this mission to Mars or, like, human colonization of <laughs> Mars. Yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, like, just studying all different kinds of technologies that we are testing, whether or not it works, even though it's not Mars, it's almost yeah. like Mars. Yeah. Um, just the idea of looking for places here on Earth, something that's similar. Very similar, yeah. Um, yeah. It's something that's very interesting to me. Yeah. Um, I found that uh, uh, his description of his experience is an incredibly varied experience as well. So he came in um, on the science side undergraduate then for a master's he went to engineering mm-hmm. and then at the phd he did astrobiology and then for his postdoc he was looking at mars analogs and when he was describing what that involves it was a lot of uh, drawing on his previous experience from like all areas mm-hmm. uh, but especially in the areas of astrobiology where he was able to really leverage his knowledge to make evaluations over these different places on Earth that um, that may have analogs on Mars that we could send potentially send future missions to. So that was quite intriguing. I thought, like just his yeah. description of that that whole process. And yeah, again, I think uh, like we most like almost all roundtables we talk about this, but I think it's all about like your path. How di- different people take different paths and kind of ended up in space. It doesn't matter which era you go to, right? There is so much um, that connects internally to each other. I mm-hmm. mean, you, engineering, physics, biology, like you wouldn't think that would make any sense. But like for missions to Mars, you would need everyone from a doctor to scientist to engineer to be part of the mission to actually have a complete knowledge of everything because I know like one of these very important sayings is like for the Apollo missions there was only one geologist who went to the moon Um, and the way geologists see rocks is different from anyone else seeing rocks right so uh, it's it's strange when you're sending someone to Mars you want someone to know about the geology of that planet but then also have someone who knows how the rockets work so exactly. <laughs> they can get there exactly. but then you also need to have you know someone who's a doctor to make sure that they have that background to save people who are going to Mars so him having this wide variety of background kind of comes together in a space arena and I don't really actually know any other field where you would have so much of different expertise kind of 
be your strong suit than yeah. being like, oh, why did you change your major so many times? Or like, why do you have so many different kinds of degrees rather than not being in the same field for yeah. all three degrees? So I think this comes in, this is probably only one of the research areas where it is your strong suit to have wide variety of experience. Yeah, and that's actually something that, uh, that I, I really personally find uh, very interesting um, and unique about this particular area of research and uh, of uh, and of work, of course, the space area. And I, actually, I think that's 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 the kind of um, situation that exists that should exist in in all areas uh, of, uh, especially scientific inquiry. But generally, people should people should have a wide variety of experience. I know that uh, when I was um, Living uh, living in the Netherlands, and uh, a lot of times when I would describe the fact that I have degrees from different areas, I have arts degrees, I have science degrees. People would always ask me, not even why did I change it, but how did I change it? Because mm-hmm. things were set up in such a fashion that you know, once you'd started on a path, you could only continue on that path. Yeah, that's one of the other things, right? Like when people think about, oh, you go to business school, and then so like you are then. Um, set to be a businessman or a businesswoman but nowadays things with startups and everything it doesn't matter what your background is like as long as you are ready to learn and ready to um, you know bring whatever expertise you have to that area people are open to work with people from different era rather than just being oh you are you know, I don't know, an ex-engineer, then you only work in this kind of company or or this kind of field. But yeah, exactly. that with startup, things are changing. And um, uh, even with, you know, just like I talked about, like space, that's one of the things where it's an era where you're bringing a lot of different expertise together. And, and analog missions are one of those things, right, where you need people from different expertise to try the same kinds of instruments out because as a geologist you might be using an X instrument for something but as an engineer you might have a different idea of how to use it or how to manipulate it and same thing as a physicist if they're looking at they would look at it a little, little bit differently um, or how you can make it better so analog missions is kind of you know a way to bring people from a lot of different areas together. Exactly, exactly right, and that's a that's a really um, that's a really good point. Obviously, he also edits this magazine, doesn't he? Which yeah. Is, which is a really kind of a very interesting sort of uh, aspect. In fact, mm-hmm. he's also a magazine editor. Yeah. Uh, the Structo magazine, and it's you know not really anything to do with science or engineering. It's a definite real arts thing. It's about poetry. It's about literature. It's about it's about writing. It's about which writing, is, writing. Which is exactly. part of like scientific academia well, okay, anyways, yeah, that's right? Like, true. That, that is actually true. That is totally true. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> right? Like every scientist has to write a paper and that's a yeah. writing skill that they need to have. And it's the same with poetry. If you can actually come up with a really nice title for your paper, it might actually get a lot of, you know, attention than with a boring title. So that's, that's arts. In science, they're all intermingled or humanities together. It's exactly. Just... Well, that's that's also the point that I wanted to make is that you know, in reality, it's these things are really all one thing. The, mm-hmm. the arts and the sciences—they're all part of the same thing. Yeah. You know, um, 
the and you and you sort of learn that when you start to to study the more ancient forms of learning, like the trivium and the quadrivium, you realise that in the in the ancient days they saw um, the arts and sciences as being kind of two halves of the same coin, rather than yeah. separate things. Yeah, yeah. And I think that you and with his uh, magazine editorship and also his very very scientific career, kind of encapsulates that. Yeah, you know. Yeah. That's our show for this week. Western Worlds is a co-production of the Centre for Planetary Science and Exploration. This episode was produced by Parshdi Patel and John Kissy, and featured an interview by her co-host John Kissy. Our roundtable discussion featured co-host John Kissy and Parshdi Patel. Our editors were John Kissy and Parshdi Patel, and I'm John Kissy. Our theme music is Helio Sheath by Sean Kim. You can continue the conversation online and listen to past episodes, or learn more about Western Worlds by visiting our website at cpsx.uwo.ca slash westernworlds. You can also visit our pages on Twitter and Facebook. On behalf of everybody here at Western Worlds, I'd like to thank you for joining us tonight. I hope you can join us again next time, right here on Western Worlds. Thank you.